This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 387. And the quote of the day is, everything comes to you at the right time. Be patient. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here. This is episode 387 of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. I hope all is well in your world. And if it's not, try to make some changes. And it doesn't have to be a huge change, just maybe a small change here or a small change there. If you're looking to make bigger change, you should check out my career development program. What it is, is you and I working together one-on-one and figuring out the goals that you want to set, figuring out what's important, what's not important, how you can reach those specific goals. And we will work together to do that. And I call it career development, but it's not necessarily for people who just want to do you know, just want to play drums full time or get a big tour. It can be if you're just trying to get some more gigs on the weekends or you're starting a new band and you're having trouble maybe booking some gigs, or if you are looking to increase your teaching practice and get more students or run your business better, whatever it is in the world of, of drumming in terms of career that's what I can help you with. So to learn more about all of it, how it works and to apply, go to drummersresource.com forward slash career, drummersresource.com forward slash career. You can apply. It's free to apply. I'll check it over. I'll figure out if we're a good fit to work with each other. If we're not, I'll email you and say, Hey, look, I saw what you're looking to do. I can't really help you in that area. And I can put you into the direction of someone who can help you. So check it out. Drummersresource.com forward slash career. And let's get something started. And I'm not going to take up any more of your time. So let's get into this conversation with the one and only Vinny Amico. Vinny Amico, how are you, my man? I'm great. How about yourself? I'm fantastic. I got to tell you, man, I... uh, I'm glad that we that we finally lined this up. It was just sort of a chance thing. Like I just saw you posted something on Twitter, but I've been a Mo fan since the nineties. I mean, since you guys start, I started listening. I mean, the first record I had was No Doy, which I know that that you weren't oh, on, nice. but right. But uh, I mean, I've been listening ever since. I've seen you guys. I've probably seen you guys ten or fifteen times. Oh, nice uh, at some different places. So great to great to get you on the on the podcast to chat. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I love uh, I love. BSing about drums and music and stuff. <laughs> there'll be a, there'll be a lot of there'll be a lot of bullshit going on. So right, worry. cool. Uh, cool. That, that's my that's my forte. So awesome. I want to I want to build a little bit of context. So uh, you are you're in the band Mo. You've been in that band since what ninety six ninety seven ninety six. Yeah, after No Doy came out, um, you know they had done a couple tours and things weren't working out with the current drummer and. Uh, their manager, who was an old friend of mine from college, who we always kept in touch, had uh, pitched me to join the band, and he had he had done that in the past. I just mm-hmm. wasn't in a position in, to had do, to do it. And then this last pitch, you know, they had just done their first record with Sony, so they actually had a little bit of money. They were able to pay a little money, and I, I was married and was just about to have a kid, so that's why uh. I could just pick up and go on the road unless there was a little bit of financial security because my wife, well, she wouldn't have killed me. We just would have needed the money. <laughs> right. So, right. <laughs> so, um, so how did, and we'll, I, I want to get into the, how you got into Mo and, and sort of the backstory behind um, transitioning from, you know, cause they were going through a bunch of different drummers. Right. And I know that there's a story there that, that you were sort of, you were working and they were going through different drummers. And I think you said you had a job at like enterprise and enterprise here yeah. and, you know, here and there. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, and I think you like a paper for you had a paper mill or something like that. Yeah. Well, I was, uh, I worked for enterprise for a few years and just wasn't happening. So, right. uh, you know, I mean, I wasn't like, yeah, I wasn't actively pursuing being a musician. I just was always working harder at that. <laughs> so I right. couldn't go anywhere in my other jobs. So I left enterprise, started working at more business products, selling, you know, it was like business forms and paper products. Another, you know, sort of dead end job if you don't really care about selling business products and, you know, right. and being, right. you know, that being your career, which it was, you know, and that was before the internet. So, you know, I think more business products probably closed down a few years later when, 
you know, the internet took over and sure. paper went away. Right, right. <laughs> so basically, which so, paper going away probably isn't the isn't the worst thing, but no, um, absolutely not. So, so rewind it back a little bit though. Get getting into let's build a little bit of context. Let's sure. So how did you get into playing? What was your what was the sort of the catalyst that got you to start picking up the sticks? I mean, I was young. And I had a friend who was a neighbor of mine who just had started playing drums. And I'd go over and hang out with him after school, and he'd be practicing, and I'd pick up the sticks and play a little. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was digging that. And my father, Sal Amico, he's a uh, bebop trumpet player from Utica, New York, mm -hmm. upstate New York, jazz scene. Um, and so ever since I was real little, I uh, was – you know, around music, around right. jazz gigs, you know, seeing some amazing drummers. Uh, he did a record, my dad, uh, with Sal Nistico from Rochester. Well, no, Sal was from Syracuse, excuse me, but uh, with a bunch of Rochester guys. Benny Ruggiero was the drummer. Uh -huh. um, I think Bob Crenshaw was bass player, Barry Harris on piano. Um, and it's a, it's a great record. It's a, I think it's a collector's item, actually. Sal Nistico Quintet. Oh, nice. Um, but anyway, my dad was a jazz musician, and I just was always seeing jazz and the drummers, you know, as you know. Was he a full-time? Was that, was that his gig? That was his gig, yeah. I mean, it didn't pay great, so he actually had a job. But, right. it, you know, he was, but he was he was a jazz musician. That's what he did. Okay. So, um, you know, I mean, later in his life, when it paid less and less, he got into restaurant business because he had friends in that. So, you know, he'd be maitre d'ing or waitering and then playing gigs at night and stuff. Right. So it's actually, you know, I'm actually, I came from the restaurant business. My family's owned businesses since restaurants since like the seventies. And it's a really good business to be in if you're a musician. Oh yeah. One, absolutely. one, you don't have to get up early for the most <laughs> you part, go. you know, right. two, your schedule's pretty flexible. Three, yeah. you get paid in cash. You know, yeah. the only drag is you always have to work on Friday and Saturday nights, either gigging right. or, or playing because that's right. when, that's when the money's made, you right. know? But I always well, tell people, of, I'm like, man, you could go out and get a bartending job. And like, I know bartenders who make 75, 80, 90, 100 grand a year cash, yeah. you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Career, career dudes. Now, my dad, you know, the beauty of it was he was, you know, he'd either be running the, the floor or he'd be waitering. And this is a Clinton house in and restaurant in, in Clinton, New York, and they'd have jazz on Friday, Saturday nights. So he'd get done at nine o'clock and he'd do his gig. <laughs> so he, he could actually double dip, and, nice. and, you know, and it was always great players in the band. And, you know, it was a great music scene back then, seventies and eighties mm -hmm. in upstate New York, you know, jazz was, was huge. Yeah. So. It doesn't. And I, I don't know, maybe this, this might be a broad stroke, but it, to me, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of that going on anymore where there's like you know the guy has a, has the day gig and then goes out on the weekend and he's just a monster player mm -hmm. or yeah. you know or does huge big tours with with amazing uh, there's a few but I, I i felt like that was really prevalent in the 70s and the eight, 60s 70s 80s yeah i think so i mean career-wise it, it was different money you know the money thing and the music thing was different now you know as we've progressed along, things have changed and, you know, musicians that are working, the only way they can make their living is to be touring. <laughs> Nowadays, yeah. you can't sell any music any you know, other way, really. So, mm -hmm. you know, I just think they have to devote more time to playing. Sure. And I, I've been trying, I've been talking about this a lot on the podcast. I think there's been a mentality shift where before, if you were a musician, not all the time, but a lot of times you had a day gig and that was, that was normal. That was like, yeah, that was what you yep. did. Now, it's like if you have a day gig, you're not a real musician. Right. It's like it's like, dude, you make you make $125 a week. Like right. that there's nothing to be proud of about that. Right. 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 Yeah, and the thing is, I mean, I think it was I don't think it ever was a viable career option to be a musician. So you had a gig, you know, a job and then you gigged on the weekends or, you know, if you had a flexible enough job and you weren't a big enough band, you'd go on tour, you'd get in the van or on a bus and go do three weeks and then come back to your job or whatever. Mm -hmm. And now in a lot of cases, it's a viable career, you know? Yeah. Especially if you, if you're lucky enough to have longevity in a band that's established. And like in our case where we've been doing this for a long time with an established, you know, mm -hmm. background and uh, fan base, you know, yeah. we've made it a career. Should I've been doing this 22 years, right. You know, as a pro making decent, <laughs> decent money. That's like, 
a dream come true. And, you know, it's, it's fucking awesome. And one of the things that's really worked in your favor is that you guys are a live band. Right. You know, you're a great live band. And now that, and I don't know how much it's affected you guys since the 90s. Like, I don't know, you know, how many records were you guys selling in, you know, 97, 98, 99, 2000? Right. I mean, our, at our best with Sony, we probably did 50,000, 60,000, maybe a little more. Right. You know, but mm-hmm. never, wasn't huge. It was a little, you know, I don't, right. I don't know if we ever recouped on anything. Mm-hmm. So know? like streaming never didn't crush you guys? No. Because so you I were mean, already a live touring band. Right. We were always touring and we were allowing taping all along. Mm-hmm. So it was like, that was part of the, that was part of the marketing for us is like, oh, tape the shows and trade it. That way, when we go to California, you know who we are, right. you know, right. or Colorado or wherever it was, you know? Mm-hmm. So for us and for a lot of people in the jam band scene, it was always and the early jam band scene. Let's, let's call it at least, right. you know, they were, when you allowed taping and traded tapes, that was more beneficial than it was hurting yeah you know yeah, i mean I, I, it, it, at first the record companies didn't see it that way but then they started to see well they don't sell a lot of, lot of records anyway but boy you know they go across country and sell a thousand tickets a night you know mm-hmm. and that's big and then people buy your cds and then you know right gets the band out there so and i don't remember who i was talking to and it was a couple of weeks ago and there was some, I, 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 the name is I, I don't remember who it was, but um, I had them on the podcast, and they were saying they didn't realize when they were go, like they would go on tour, and they didn't realize that there was all there were a ton of these career bands like you guys, like OAR, like Big Head Todd and the Monsters, uh, you know, like Leftover Sam and a lot of the jam band dudes, right? and maybe not even jam band, just just right. got, you know, Collective Soul, all these sure. all these bands that are still touring yeah they're still putting you know two three four five ten thousand people in clubs yeah they're still they still are in a bus they have crew and they make a great living yeah and and they're i think there's so there's so many people who think i either have to be in the chili peppers or i'm going to be living you know in a crappy one-bedroom apartment and eating ramen noodles and there's no in between which is false Right. Totally false. I mean, all those bands, nobody's getting rich necessarily, but right. we all make a decent living. You know, I mean, I got, you know, I, I got a house in the suburbs with a pool and I have a daughter in college and one going next year. And, you know, I'm making <laughs> and my wife has a job at, you know, it's good more. And we, you know, we make a decent living. Right. It's and I don't know how to I don't know how to I, I'm constantly trying to change that narrative and. And one that you don't have to do this full time. If you do, that's great. You don't have to. You can still be quote unquote successful. And the other side right. of it is like, you know, I think it's like when to me, I'm I'm sort of pretty business minded. So I always think about people when they're trying to start a business and they're like, well, how are we going to make, you know, $10 million? I'm like, why don't you work on making a hundred grand first? Right. Yeah, like, right. Figure, figure that out. You know what I mean? Right. Figure <laughs> out how to make a living and don't worry about getting rich. Right. Right. If that exactly. comes, you're just lucky. Exactly. <laughs> you know, really. Yeah. It's like just establish a good business model and, you know, and then keep that going and try to make that build on that and make that successful. Sure. And, you know, don't sure. worry about the, you know, when's my million coming? Where's my Rolex? Right. <laughs> I mean, I am BMW? waiting for my million. I'm wondering when my million's coming. I check the mail <laughs> yeah, every right, day. Yeah, right. Of course. But it, hasn't, too, but it hasn't come yet. Yeah. I'm almost 50. I'm kind of figuring it isn't happening unless I win a lottery. Right. So, so backtracking a little bit, uh, I I bounce around a little bit because I'm a drummer and I probably have ADD. me too. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, the so when you were when you were coming up, you see your dad. You see your dad being a jazz musician, and as you're going through high school, college, what road were you going down? And did you think that this is what you were going to be doing? Did you were you thinking I'm going to be a professional? I, I, I want to do this or was it just something that you were sort of doing on the side and you were pursuing other things? Both. You know, the thing is, is like when you get bit by the bug, you know, when you realize, mm-hmm. oh, I can do this and you get in a band and you can play music and it's pretty good. You start going, this is all I really want to do. Right. But, you know, back to that mentality we're talking about before, it's not a viable career option. So, you know, plus my mother, you know, being that her... <laughs> ex-husband was a jazz musician who made no money and you know didn't provide for her his family very well um 
you know, I couldn't go tell her I'm going to pursue music as a career because she would have been like, fuck you, buddy, (laughs) you know, basically. So, you know, I went to college and got a degree and, you know, even back in high school, I mean, I was playing and having fun, but I never really thought much of, you know, it was more to like, uh, you know, get in the basement and hang out with my buddies and smoke weed and play music and then, you know, throw some parties and do the same. And, you know, uh, it was more about the party and, and just being the entertainment for the party. And, you know, we were killing time by playing rather than killing time by, you know, just sitting there drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got pretty good at doing it. And then I went to college and, you know, I didn't study music. I'm self-taught. Um, I just went to college and first semester met some guys. I didn't have my drums yet. I said, you know, I'll bring them back up in, uh, excuse me, in um, January when I come back to school, and we'll start playing and started playing. You know, you're a drummer, you know, you not really market yourself, but you talk all the time. Oh, yeah, I play drums. I can yeah. come jam, you know, met mm-hmm. a few different people, started playing a couple different groups. They started playing out, you know, all of a sudden I'm gigging all the time and, you know, starting getting calls because I could play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's right. like because there's a lot of drummers out there, as you know, too, that aren't really great at time. And you really it's, it's a very important thing. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so it is. You play with a few guys and they're like why does this feel so good? And, you know, easy. Right. It's like, uh, I don't know. sounds good to me. You know? And then they're <laughs> like, Oh, we're getting rid of our other drummer because he can't keep time or whatever, you know? And then, uh-huh. next thing you know, you're playing all the time. So I, you know, I worked all through college playing music mm-hmm. and it was just, the, it was just the side gig while I went to college. That was my job, you know, where guys either worked or didn't, or they were poor. I always had money. Right. I always had a place to go party because I was at my gigs mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I was kind of, working toward my career even though it was like you know like i said (laughs) again not a viable career option just working really hard at it you know like working toward that goal even though i was i was covering it up by going to college and think you know bsing myself that i was going to do something else what did you think you were going to do i don't know i mean i went to school for engineering dropped out of that got a degree in economics and psych and then i was just going to work you know get a job and try to make a career of it right it's interesting when you're when you're that age i mean i went through the same thing in college that you you know you meet a couple people you play a gig here then you join this other thing and next thing you know you're like oh man i'm playing like you know playing a couple times some uh, yeah, yeah right. and just, uh, i was like three times a week i started getting a lot i was playing all the friggin' time yeah then it, i was gonna say it starts building up and you're like shit yeah. and then it and then it turns into a it almost it, it turns into a career that you didn't even plan on having and you're like, whoa, what? That's where I got good at playing drums, just going and doing gigs all the time. Yep. It's like playing, wasn't, I was in a couple bands, but then I was starting to get hired on gigs and like, I didn't have a book and I wasn't reading. I just show up to the gig and do the gig. Mm-hmm. Ears open and let's go. And then it's like, hey, that was great. And I didn't even know I have to freaking song. <laughs> I just playing <laughs> what, what was being presented to me, you know? And it was, it's like, that's cutting your teeth and really learning how to play live, you know? Yeah. So, and, and, you know, the, I used to get a lot of people telling me like, Oh Nick, you're not in the, I don't see you a lot in the practice room. And I'm like, man, I'm gigging three, four nights a week. Yeah. You know, I I'm, never practiced ever. No, never practiced. I never shedded. I don't, I, I was going to get into this with you. I figured we'd talk about it eventually. I just played all the time. I didn't even know what I'm doing, you know? And then now I'm giving some, I teach a couple kids or a couple people. They're actually older, but it's like, now I'm starting to learn <laughs> what I'm doing by having to dissect it and teach it to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, Oh, right. I guess I do know a few things, you know, because sure. this is what I'm doing here and this is what I'm doing there. And then, you know, but I was always just gigging. I never even was thinking about like shedding and figuring stuff out. It was just like learning songs, copping styles and playing music. You know? Right. I mean, the best way to learn how to play live is play live. Yeah, right. You know, that's the best. That's where you learn how to use your ears and you learn who's good and who's not real, mm-hmm. <laughs> real quick. You right, know? right. And I, you know, I, I struggled with that for years too, where I was like, man, I know that I should be shedding or I, you know, I should be learning this other, this stuff. And I've been a, a mediocre practicer my whole life, but, and I think it was because I was gigging so much and like, I don't, I don't want to say, I don't want to make excuses and say I didn't have time, but I was like, I'm getting hired. Right. I, I like the stuff that I'm playing. Everyone else seems to like what I'm playing. Right. I guess I'm doing, I guess I'm doing pretty well. And the thing is, is practice playing drums by yourself is boring. It is boring. <laughs> you know, it's just not fun. I mean, you know, like now that I'm older and it's like, 
I'm just working to maintain stuff and figuring stuff out. I don't mind it. It's like, okay, I, I'll work the rudiment sheet or I'll work, you know, stick control or something. And it's like, cause I know that it's just making me better. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I still don't like put on a video or something. I got to learn this thing. You know, I just don't do that. It's just like, Oh, we're going to write some music. I'm going to put new stuff into it or what, you know, it's like, that's where, that's where the practicing comes in now, pr- practicing with my band and writing music. Right. I still don't shed, but right. I think there's something, you know, like all the guys that get taught and all the guys that shed practice and go to college, I mean, they get to be really good drummers. Most of them all sound the same. So there's never any voice of their own, mm-hmm. you know, and the guys that find their own voice don't stay in school. They go out, they get gigs, right? you know, and they end up going on the road. Right. So, you know, like I, I think that the non-shedding playing all the time and like, learning on your own i mean there's obviously there's some downfalls to it but there's definitely something to be said for it and developing your own voice and your own style Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and sometimes i look at it because i i think i think for most drummers and i think you may even be the exception to this that i think most drummers have to go through a a period where they're they're sort of head down and they're learning a bunch of stuff Mm -hmm. so whether it be in the practice room or what it is it's like that eight hours a day of just like just figuring shit out and and you know whether you're like learning rudiments or you're just shedding or whatever but at some point at some point to me it feels like it's almost like a football player always being in the weight room but never going out and running plays on the field right and then they go out to play on sunday and they don't know anything because but they're yeah. real they're super strong and but they you know, suck. <laughs> yeah. 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 And yeah. and but you know, if you're out there playing every day and you're learning how to interact with people, you're learning dynamics, you're learning like you yeah. said, ears open, you're learning yeah. you can't learn instincts and you can't learn listening and you can't learn, you know, collaborative or collaboration. Yeah, conversation and exactly. all that stuff. In how the to practice. Talk to room. And especially for improv, improv, ugh, improvised music. Yeah, yeah. It's a and cap- you've seen it. I mean, I'm sure you've been to a gig or, you know, going to see another gig and you're talking to the drummer and he's showing you all these cool chops and shit. And then you go watch him play and he sucks. He's dragging time or, mm-hmm. you know, speeding up or his fills are never right. And you're like, dude, you just showed me all that cool shit and you don't know how to fucking play. Right. Or you just all the <laughs> stuff that you just showed me, you just played. Right. Inside, like right. I, I call it copying and pasting. Yeah, right. So you're like, let me copy it over here and I'll just drop it in and hopefully it'll sound right. You know, so what's your, what is your approach to let's, I mean, we'll talk about Mo because that's, that's where the bulk of your experience is Right. with improvised music. What's your, what is your approach to improvised music and has that evolved over the years? Um, well, you know, I have just, I've always played that kind of music probably because my father was a jazz musician. Mm-hmm. Then I got into the Grateful Dead and they were improvising. So my approach, I guess, is, you know, I kind of am there. I'm just a support person for the rest of the band. So when the improvising is going on, I'm just conversing between guitar player and bass player and percussionist and keyboardist. And, you know, and it's not I'm not really thinking about it, other than the fact that I know we're improvising. You know, it's mm-hmm. like this isn't this wasn't rehearsed. Now we're doing our thing. So it's all to me just a conversation and it's like, okay, I have a bunch of stuff in my bag from years of playing and experience. And I just use those, let's call them words or vocabulary in the conversation. Mm -hmm. And And it's just constant conversation. And it's kind of, you know, being a drummer and, you know, a decent drummer, there's a bit of dry, you know, you're kind of, I don't know if you call it leading or driving or, you know, sort of being the conductor or whatever it is, you're kind of guiding everybody along, even though there's a soloist who's going forward and there's a bass player holding together and you're talking to the bass player, you know, there's a drive to it. You're not holding back and saying, I'm going to keep this thing slow and right here. You're kind of, or at least I kind of am, I'm constantly driving and moving forward mm-hmm. in, in the improv or in the jam or whatever. So mm-hmm. there's, there's a driving force there, a lot of conversation, ears open, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, totally makes sense. And for you, you when you you replaced the drummer that was already in the band, so now all of a sudden the conversation is a little bit different for everyone yeah. else because now sure. they have someone who is saying something differently, or they're approaching something different, or right. you know they may have a different agenda, or you know you may have a different agenda. 
Right. The interesting part that I felt that I really thought was cool was I think that you and the old drummer sort of sound alike. And I don't mean that as a as a dig. I mean that it, right. it but it amazes me that you guys you sound like you, but you sound like you're the drummer for Mo. Does right. Ma- I mean, does that make sense? Oh yeah. 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 I mean, it does. And the thing is I had to learn the songs, but mm-hmm. I couldn't play exactly the way he did or whatever. So it's like I just put my voice into those songs knowing the way the parts went. Mm-hmm. And um and now that I've been doing it for so long with them, I am the drummer, you know. But right. Even right. on the old songs, like the parts are the parts, and I just put my voice into those parts. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they flow a little better because my time is a little better or different than his was, you know. So right. the parts move a little differently. Um, but you know, I kind of even back before I was the drummer. Actually, when Jim, who was our percussion player, was the drummer, he was the second drummer in Mo, mm-hmm. and he was friends of mine in college before. Mo was even a band, really. Right. <laughs> so, like, I knew him. But um, even when he was playing in the band and when they just started to, like, go pro before they had any record contracts or any of that stuff, they were always on my radar. As I'm like, I could play in that band. I want to play in that band. I hope I get to play in that band someday. You know, it's oh, like really? this sort of thing. Yeah, it was, you know, I was, they were always on my radar. And, like, it's a thing that, like, if, if they ever need a drummer and they, you know, and I can, it's the right situation where I can go and be a professional drummer. I would love that would be the band I'd love to be in. Mm-hmm. And it did work out that way, luckily enough. Yeah. If you're looking for a top of the line snare, then look no farther than the Mapex Black Panther Design Lab series. These are designed to combine sound concepts to create unique and personal instruments for the demanding player. They come in three unique variations and they all have their own unique sound quality to them. You have the Heartbreaker, which is dark and rustic and throaty. You have the Cherry Bomb, which is vintage, controlled and precise. And then you have the Equinox, which will give you that classic, bright, articulate sound. To learn more about the Mapex Black Panther Design Lab series, go to mapexdrums.com. You're listening to this episode 100% free thanks to Promark and their new Firegrain drumsticks. Firegrain drumsticks utilize a revolutionary heat tempering process that transforms ordinary hickory drumsticks into precision tools with unprecedented durability. Keeping their original weight, balance, and feel, Promark Firegrain sticks allow drummers to hit harder and play longer naturally. They also do not transmit any excessive vibrations. They retain their natural feel, weight, and balance that you would expect from a regular hickory drumstick. They're available now in classic, forward balance, and select balance across a variety of sizes. You can learn more by going to promark.com. Now let's get back into it with Vinny Amico. I think there's two types of people when you mentioned if I can go and be a professional drummer. I think there are two types. There's one where they're like, money doesn't really matter to me. I'll do whatever I got to do. You know, I just, I have to be playing. And then there's other people that are like, I don't necessarily have to be doing this, you know, as my main thing and I'm okay to to work or do whatever. And I can, you know, and I can play when I want. Which side of the, which side of the fence do you fall on? I was on the one side, uh, the second side. Like I had a job. Because mm-hmm. I graduated college, got a job, had a wife, bought a house in the suburbs, was playing gigs all the time. Um, and that's the thing. When I got offered the gig, my wife had just found out she was pregnant, which we were trying to do. Mm-hmm. They offered me the gig. It's like, I have a good life. I'd be happy to, you know, I was playing three, four different styles of music, different kinds of music. I was playing great because I was always playing gigs in different bands. Mm-hmm. My chops were great. You know, not my chops weren't great, but my my vocabulary was really good. Right. Um, and I was like, I'd, I'd be happy to do this. And my wife was like, you'd be crazy not to take the opportunity. And you'll always regret the fact that you never took the chance to make this your career. Really? And yeah. And what, that's wasn't why she, I did. Wasn't she, wasn't she going to, or wasn't she worried about you being on the road and you're having a kid and all that? Um, well, that's the wonderful thing about my wife. She's pretty awesome. And she was looking at me and like, dude, you got to do it. You know, this is going to be your one shot. Right. So take it. You and know? how many dates were, how many dates she, a year? Like, are you on the road now? Well, um, you know, the last couple of years we were probably, you know, 
somewhere between 80 and 100 mm-hmm. the That's last probably five years. Um, I mean, last year we only did like 45 because Rob got cancer and we had mm-hmm. to go on hiatus. Um, right. You know, that being said, I still, I mean, I have other bands and I can't sit around and not play. So I just booked, I booked myself solid with a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. So, um, but that, you know, more local, not as much traveling. Mm-hmm. Um, but, a lot, you know, still traveling because there's a few groups I play in that'll travel. Um, so, yeah, it's always, it's 100 gigs, you know, a year. It's a lot. Yeah, it's 130 days away from home, maybe. Right. So, do you have a secret for juggling that or managing that? You know, I have very understanding wife and kids. <laughs> um, plus, it's my job, so it's kind of you know, I'm doing it as long as I've been doing it now. It's like when I work, I have to work. You know. Yeah. And when I'm not working, I'm always freaked out that I'm not working because mm-hmm. I don't like sitting on my ass and doing nothing. Yeah. So always kind of sort of looking for work you know Mm -hmm. and making sure i stay busy and you know playing because again i don't shed so if i'm not gigging i'm not playing so i like to do gigs and play (laughs) of course (laughs) yes so you know so that's kind of that's kind of what i do i want to talk a little bit about the nuts and bolts of the band from from the i don't want to say the business standpoint but the inner workings of how how you guys have been maintaining this career and how this thing grew. And the reason why I ask is because there are a lot of my listeners who are either, you know, nine to five job, have a band mm-hmm. on the weekend or are coming out of college and they're, they're trying to start a band. They're trying to gain, gain some traction. And there's always there's always a lot of disconnect between how do you be, go from a local bar band to getting a little bit bigger, maybe touring a little bit, you know, and then making the transition to bigger clubs. And, and of course, a lot of this is luck and popularity. I understand right. that. Right. Um, but was there, was there any conscious things that you guys did or was there, is, is there anything that you can really attribute a lot of the sustained success that you guys have had? Um, well, some of the, the, the original growing stuff happened before me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, once we, once I was in the band and we were, you know, it was a career. It, it's really about, you know, I mean, there's management cause there's a, there's plans and how do you route tours? How do you get people to go night to night? And you know, that stuff, but you also have to write good songs. Like people have to like the music, you right. know, you can go out and, and tour all the damn time, but if people don't like the songs or, you know, don't like the music, they're not going to come, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah. I mean, it, it really comes down to writing good music and, you know, Put, developing it and you know being smart about the music itself and then you know being smart about the business you know and you, you, trying not to play too much where you burn out or you get people not uh get sick of you or you know overexposure mm-hmm. um and working hard you got to freaking work hard you know yeah. you gotta you have to especially like if you're new and starting out you got to be out there busting your chops and playing all the time and writing music all the time and doing gigs, trading gigs with other bands, you know, trying to cross pollinate fan bases and things like that. Right. I mean, the not so secret tactic is you have to write good songs. You got to write good music. Yeah. And I think a lot of times people look, they overlook that because they're looking, I don't know if they're looking for a hack or they're looking for some way to, to, you know, to, take the not the easy way out but get the instant gratification or whatever i don't know what it is right but, right 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 but it's like well how can i do it now and it's like well you can it's gonna take five or ten years yeah you, you have know? to work your i mean you see you see these up and coming bands just i mean i'm only familiar kind of with our scene as far as i mean i know other bands but like being on the road and seeing who's working and not mm-hmm. you know you look at the turquoises and the aqueouses and the spaffords and and bands like that um, who are, you know, up and coming and you see them going from the bars to the clubs, to the small theaters, they work their asses off. They're great players and they're writing tons of tunes, you know, and, yeah. and good music, you know, yeah. and they're really, you know, they're really putting a lot of thought and effort into the whole thing. And mm-hmm. you look at, you know, you look at Humphreys's work ethic and model over the last, you know, 10 years and they're just freaking, they work their ass off all the time, Yeah, you know, and they put on a great show and they're super pro about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know so the fundamentals and, yeah and even with us you know we just constantly 
you know, we we put a lot into our shows. We're not as tight as some of the other bands, but music, you know, song wise, we have great songs. We keep writing great songs, and uh, you know, we do a lot of improvising in the song in in our shows. You mm-hmm. know, we're constantly changing up the show night to night, and you know, the whole show becomes a journey every night in the way we write our set lists and and work through work through the night. And like you so, said, you're not as you may not be as tight as other bands. Does that matter? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know, it, I, I don't know. I don't. I, it depends on what you're looking. You know, our music isn't maybe warranted to be quite as tight. Well, that's know? what I was so thinking. Yeah, it's a little bit. You know, there's there's a little bit of wiggle room for you know for it to be a little looser. And plus, our style and the way we write the set lists and how we improvise. You know, we're not conducting on the fly when we improvise. We're just improvising. We're not, you know, there's no signals. There's no, you know, take a half step up here and half, right. you know, we just play. And it's like, this is point A, a and that's point B, and we have to get there, C on the other side, and it's all conversation on stage at the time. Right. And you look at guys, you know, who have been doing it even longer than you have, like if you look at Fish or someone like that. Yeah. You know, like. Sometimes you have great nights yep. and sometimes you have off nights or maybe not even yeah. off nights, but they're just different. They may be a little looser, but like if you sure. go to a Justin Timberlake show, it's the same right. every, every single time. night. Like they don't have yeah. an off night. No, but well, they're not even, you know, they're performing, but there's tracks behind the whole thing. So they're actually playing to a freaking track or a metronome or whatever. So the thing never wavers. Well, that's what I'm saying. And it's like, so yeah. they're, you know, that's two totally different things. So the yeah. stuff that you're doing doesn't, you know, it's, it's the natural element. It's, it's what yeah. happens. And I don't I, know if I could deal like, you know, think about being on the road for two months, playing the same song the same way every friggin' night. Yeah. I mean, maybe the paycheck's great and whatnot. And it, I mean, if the songs are amazing and you love the songs, it's mm-hmm. a little easier, but God, like after a couple months and then that person saying the same shit in between songs and everything every night, you'd just be like, you're such a robot after a while. You're yeah. just like, ah, I'm going to go crazy. You know? And the last Justin Timberlake tour was two and a half years. Right. You know, right. Which yeah. I'm sure, you know, it's a great gig. I know Brian who plays it, you know, mm-hmm. and like he's a killer drummer too. Right. Oh, he's, he's insane. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, maybe he's bred for that and he's, he's down with that and making sure that it's, you know, he could be such perfectionist that, you know, if he, if he's a quarter beat ahead of tempo or something one night, he just loses his mind. I don't really know him. Yeah. But like, well, I mean, I think that know. there, I think that, that there are, there's something to be said about a guy who can do that. Like you said, and play perfectly every night, play to the click, do that. Right. And, it, and it almost becomes like a, a performance in and of itself to try sure. to, to, to master that and be, be as particular as possible. Um, right. But yeah, I don't know. I think that would get old to me. Yeah. I mean, even even being in Tom Petty's band, you know, mm-hmm. they did the same t- songs every night. Granted, every song's a hit, and you love every song, so it'd be easy be easy to do because it's like this song is amazing, this song. Right. But how do you get yourself up after three months on the road to play that song with that energy that night when you're just like, I am so fucking sick of you know, Last Dance with Mary Jane or whatever, you know, whatever song it is. Yeah. It's just like, you know, so yeah. And those are songs that are like you know fucking amazing they're great so yeah you know but it's like could you do that same way every freaking night yeah not that i'm saying if justin timberlake called me i would say no to the gig (laughs) i don't think i would like i would do it of course right (laughs) i'd at least i'd at least find out on my own yeah whether whether it would drive me crazy or not sure right yeah is it in the cards for you or not right would you do something like that you know if if I got the call for something like that, I would do it for sure. Yeah. I would, tr- you know, and then after the fact, I might be like, man, that's tough. Or, I, you know, it might be, it might be suit me great and just be like, I really love doing that. Actually. Yeah. I don't know. You know, I don't know. Cause I play this different show different way every night, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. That keeps it interesting. So talk about, yeah. talk about Modown And I, I, it's always, I, I always think it's interesting when a band gets their community and says, Hey, we're going to do our own, we're going to do our own festival thing, not play on. I mean, obviously you guys play on other festivals, um, but starting your own thing. What was the, what was the reasoning behind that? We've actually have a couple because we, we, we started, uh, we got that uh, snow down too, right? Yeah. Well, we started summer camp with Ian uh, Goldberg years ago. That that's actually a really big festival. Now Mm -hmm. Uh, we started it with a thousand people or something. Now it's like 20, 
Wow. Um, yeah, it's crazy. But, you know, it was like, here we are doing these things. We wanted to curate our own. We had a promoter, friends that that were interested in, you know, let's call it going into business with us. Um, and we thought that we would love to be able to headline and grow a festival where we get to play three nights, do the whole thing, pick the bands, mm-hmm. interact with the bands, and just between us and the promoter, deal with the whole thing, put right. it together. And because right. we're seeing how other bit, things were running, it's like, well, we could do that too. Mm-hmm. And then we could headline it, you know, every night and grow the thing. So, and put all our friends or, you know, all the bands we like on it. Mm-hmm. And if it's, if it does well, then it's a good yeah. moneymaker. Yeah. And then bonus is if it yeah, <laughs> does well, we get paid well. So, well, I think the dirty little secret that people don't realize is that most, most festivals don't do well. And most, right. and a lot of festivals lose money. Sure. Right. So, um, right. so what's the criteria but, of how you guys pick bands? Well, we always put a list together of the bands we'd like to see mm-hmm. on the festival and then we make offers and see who's available. And, you know, sometimes it's easy and everybody's available and wants to do it. And other times everybody's booked and you can't get anybody and you go to, you know, your B list and you start pulling into your B list and then people start calling you that want to do it and you come up with a you know a hot you know a, a mix of both who you wanted who's available and who wants to play it mm-hmm. i think i actually think because i was i was in a jam band for years and uh and we were sort of like we were running that like lower level jam band mm-hmm. circuit for a while and did some stuff with like umphreys and all that and i think i i remember talking to the guys at the band i was like i want to try to get get on get on mo it was either mow down or snow down one or the other uh-huh. and and i don't remember we like eat we were like sending our shit to like whatever your management yeah. or, right, or right. something and i think that like after a while they just got tired of hearing from me. <laughs> like, the thing is, here's we- another here here I, I, yeah. did you get my cd they're like yeah we got the one you right. sent last week too right and the thing is that it, and it, it especially with mow down it was like we were picking, the, we were handpicking the band. So if we didn't know you, sure. Oh, I, you I know, wasn't saying it like that. Like, I just thought it yeah, was no, funny. <laughs> but that's that's kind of how we did it. And the other thing about Modown is it became, you know, we always did it uh, Labor Day weekend, so it was the last kind of the last festival of the summer, mm-hmm. and it was kind of like us throwing a party for all our fans and our friends and our family because it, it became very family oriented because I had just had a baby. And then I had another baby and Al was having kids and Rob was having kids. So we, you know, my wife ended up putting together a kid's tent area. So then fans started bringing, you know, we, you know, people started have, having families around the band and, you know, and so it became a very family friendly thing where you could bring your kids and there was safe places to be and not everybody's partying and doing drugs. And, mm-hmm. and you know, there was a safe place for your kids. You couldn't leave your kids. It wasn't a daycare. It was, you bring your kids along during the day right. and they have shit to do. And you sit there with them and freaking have, let them have fun at the festival too. And it, you know, I, I, I maybe, maybe not has become a standard at a lot of festivals now that they have kid friendly areas and people can bring their kids. And the, so they can actually go and, have fun and see their, you know, the music that they love and it could be a family thing and not just, they can't do it because they can't get sitters for the weekend or, you know, they go and party, you know, now it's become a family thing. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think, and I would, I would venture to guess that it helped ticket sales because so many more people don't have to leave their kids behind, get a babysitter or whatever the case may be. And they're like, and you know, people, especially our uh, fans because they've kind of grown old with us and you know made families along with us mm-hmm. um that that was part of the draw and everybody's like looked forward to Modown because they're bringing their you know their whole their family their kids into the scene and their kids end up liking mo and grow up with mo and some of these other bands and um it was it's a draw for sure mm-hmm. you know for families and you know just people started to look forward to Modown. That's pretty cool that yeah. at one, you know once the kids start to get a little older then it's like yeah. then they go yep. see Mo with their friends. Right. You know? Well that's that's where my kids are now, you know, my kids are my daughter's 20 and my other daughter's 17 and you know, they're going to college and they're starting to tell their friends and you know, 
it's not going to be long before they're in college and just showing up at shows and with their whole bunch of their buddies. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Right. So it's like the new generation coming along. That's awesome. So, yeah. So how, uh, how do your, how do your kids feel about, about what you do? Is it just normal for them? You know, cause they it's, grew up in it. Yeah, it's normal, but it's, you know, it's cool when like they're at school and their teachers or, you know, they say something about, Oh, my dad's a musician. Oh, oh, what band? You know, thinking of some local band. Oh, he's in Mo, and they're like, Mo, no way, you're the, you know, and then yeah. like kind of makes them a star, so to speak. You that's know, that's awesome. Like, yeah, that's my dad. You know, uh-huh. sort of thing. And in our school district, you know, a lot of teachers know the band upstate New York. You know, and they all went to college and all saw us. So there's a lot of teachers that know who who we are and yeah. who I am. And so, but we're pretty involved in the school district. So we've become friends with a lot of them outside of you know me being in the band we just you know because we're part of the community and right we're all working toward the same goal so. right i was i had um uh chad smith on the podcast a while back and he was saying we were in philly we did the interview in philly where i'm from but his son yeah. goes to drexel and oh, shit. so he just like walks into drexel you know and like everybody's like holy shit chad smith's here and he's like yeah. oh, yeah, it's my dad you know <laughs> Yeah. And I was That's like, wild. man, yeah, everybody's uh, freaking out, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, you probably helped that dude's college career. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. He's the coolest kid at Drexel, right? Yeah. So, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty cool. So, what do you, what's the uh, what, what plans do you guys have on tap? I know that you guys have a, a little run here in the spring, like on the on the uh, on the East Coast, running from yeah. like April April through July. Yeah, we're doing April. We have some Northeast dates. And then summer camp festival, and then um, we have a festival in Taos, New Mexico. Um, we have Red Rocks July 12th, and we have a bunch of stuff in between that we're working on that's almost done, and it'll probably be announced soon. So I don't, I can't probably say exactly what's happening because mm-hmm. it's not all set in stone yet. Sure, but sure. Uh, you know, we'll probably be touring, you know, from the end of June through July, um, and then with this other stuff that we got in between, you know, with the, with the April run we're doing from DC up to Burlington, uh, and then Northampton. So it's like just a little run up the East coast and then we'll work our way, um, to summer camp, do that. And then tour in the summer. Nice. And then, you know, planning on the fall and, um, we are, we have Halloween dates. Um, I think we released it already, uh, where we're playing for Halloween. Um, in your hometown, so it'll be fun. Oh, where are you guys playing? So, uh, at the Fillmore. Fillmore? Yeah. yeah. So cool. That's a cool. That's a really yeah. cool room. Oh, wait oh, a it's minute. A great. Fillmore, Philadelphia. Oh, Fillmore, Philadelphia. Oh yeah, okay. yeah. And we've done we've done a couple Halloweens there, so it's a lot of fun. I think I think we announced that. I hope so. If not, <laughs> well, let me know. If not, I, can, I might, I'll pull it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, uh, <clears throat> one last question for you. I know that that you're you know you're a live band. You guys do a lot of do a lot of touring how much pressure or how much um <clears throat> how much uh what's the word i'm looking for immediacy is there to put out new records for you um well kind of because i mean this is my take everybody's probably got a different take right because they don't sell anymore mm-hmm. i don't think it's become as much of an immediacy as long as we continue to write songs and play them live right you know we still have to put out a product Mm-hmm. you know do, do we prioritize it as much as we used to no right you know i right. mean we know we're due for an album we've been writing a bunch of songs you know we're going to get in the studio and put it out thing is i mean you know at this point we can't you know put out fifty thousand cds because you'll have forty eight thousand of them in, <laughs> right, in storage right. and, you know so it's like the how to sell the medium is is the tough part to figure out so it's not as immediate as it needs to be because there's not really a way to sell it, yeah. you know. It's such a crazy so, thing. I mean, did you ever? Yeah. Did, you, I, did you ever think your career was going to get there where you're like, ah, we don't really, we don't, you know, albums aren't really a thing. So, right, which, it's weird. I mean, I hell, mean, you might as well just go take all the songs, right. get into a room, hit record, and just record right. everything live and right. just put it out and be like, that's it. Right, and that's that's kind of what we're up against. And it's like, so we we are, you know, compiling a bunch of new music, and we are talking about and getting ready to to record it and get it out there. Nice. So it's just not as, and you know, Al or Rob might say different. I don't think it's as much of a priority to put it out because we're, we're playing it live and we right. will be getting it out 
and we're due to get it out. So we have to, do, it's, it, it's still a necessary thing to do. Um, you know, are we, you know, it has to be out tomorrow. No, not at the right. moment. Right. So no, that makes you sense. Know, and the thing is, it's, funny times man with the internet you know (laughs) yes it is some people are going to complain about it that we haven't released a new thing other people aren't and then the people that complain are they going to go out and buy it who knows so right (laughs) you know it's like yeah yeah it's like they're going to stream it or yeah right or they're going to say i'd rather listen to the live version anyway right and because it's not you know we don't there's no real radio media. I mean, jam on for mm-hmm. us, but right. it's not like we're going to get played on terrestrial radio. So they mm-hmm. don't need a copy of the stuff, you know? Right. I mean, as much as I'd love to have us be played on the radio, it just never has kind of worked out that way. You know, mm-hmm. it's weird. The internet, it's on one side, it's screwing everything up. But on the other side, you can put <laughs> absolutely ev- necessary. <laughs> yeah. And you can put all this stuff out and like, yeah, <clears throat> you know, you can, you can broadcast your, your, uh, you can broadcast your shows. People can watch them live. You yeah. can, you can sell downloads of your of your yep. music. You know, you can yep. like record everything live and just totally distribute it across the world instantaneously. It's amazing. It's amazing. And we do most of that stuff. I know. know. I know. Constantly streaming and doing that and content, content, content. You got to keep. You know, you got to keep all the ADD kids who need instant gratification online. Like you have to keep them sated or uh, whatever the word is to. Yeah. <laughs> you got to keep. You got to keep feeding them information you know mm-hmm. so 100 that's the heart and we're you know us old fogies it's like we're not as used to having to come up with all that information all the time yep. so we're working on it we're trying to stay up with the times you know yeah i get it so where's the best place speaking of social media and internet where's the where's the best place for people to follow along you know with what you're doing and obviously go you know go to the website what's it mo.org and yeah. uh and follow that on social and then what about your yeah. personal socials I mean, I don't do Facebook much. It's, uh, but Mo does a lot of Facebook. I do Instagram and, and, uh, Twitter and Mo does Twitter and Instagram as well. So most of my information goes out those two mediums. Um, my wife's big on Facebook, so she gets a lot of information out there for me. The band has, uh, got a pretty good Facebook presence as well as Twitter and Instagram. I think we're even on Snapchat as well. So, okay, cool. Yeah, so and I'll, we, I'll uh, link up to all that stuff in the, in okay. the show notes yeah. and all that. I think that I think that Twitter is uh, Mo period. I think okay. Instagram is Mo the band. Uh, I'm not sure. Facebook, I think it's probably just Mo or Mo band or whatever. I'll find um, it all. I'll do the yeah. It's I'll it's do the digging. There. Cool. Yeah, yeah. It's easy enough nowadays. You put in Mo and it gets then it shows up. up. Yeah, right. So. Well, good deal, man. Vinny, I want to thank you for taking the time. Uh, again, I, like I said, I've, I've been a Mo fan for years. I've seen you guys a ton of times, and uh, it was great to actually sit down and, and chat with you about it. So I Well, I appreciate it. it, man. I always love talking about this stuff, and I, I'm glad that you care because anytime anybody cares about what I'm doing, I freaking love it. So thank <laughs> you for caring. Of course. Of course. Thank you for without, – without guests and without the listeners – you know, I have nothing. So, right, so thank right, you absolutely. for taking your time out of your day to, to sit and chat. I really do appreciate it. I hope to see you out on the road soon and I will talk to you soon. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. That was the one and only Vinny Amico for the links to everything that we talk about and the show notes. You can go to drummersresource.com forward slash session three, eight, Six. And if you haven't already, sign up for Nick's Monday Mix. What is Nick's Monday Mix? It is an email that I send out every Monday that has the latest podcast release, but it also has some other stuff that I think that you'll dig. So it is books that I'm reading. It is documentaries that I'm watching. It's music that I'm listening to. I have a Spotify playlist that I update every week with new music. There's different apps. Anything that I think that you'll enjoy or you think will cool or will help you in your playing or in your life or in your career, whatever it is, is in that Monday Mix email. You can just go to drummersresource.com forward slash mix m-i-x to get signed up for that and until the next podcast keep drumming thank you so much for listening i do appreciate it and i'll be talking to you soon peace